It's time for Lacrosse Classified on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Your go-to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Now, settle down and listen up. It's time for Lax Class. Garfunkel did have the prettier voice. Paul Simon wrote the songs, though. Dolly Parton, Kenny Rogers. I nope. can be Kenny. Okay. You, can be, you can be Dolly. And Welcome to Lacrosse Classified, episode 126. Uh, we're a little goofy. We're a little giddy. We're a little excited here at the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network for EP 126. We, If you didn't figure it out off the top 22, Gary freaking Gate is on the podcast uh, this week, Brad Schellner. How's it going? We got Gary Gate, and, and we're pretty happy about it. <laughs> we're a little giddy. We're a little giddy to have the GOAT, or top three, top five, however you want to slice and dice it. His name is always at the top of the damn list. Indoors, outdoors, college, junior, summer ball in Canada. Like, no matter how you slice it, it's Gary Gate. And... Birthday I never saw Gary. this week, too. I, yeah, birthday yesterday. Paul's too. Uh, Paul's too. Monday. Oh, yeah, Paul's too. Don't forget about Paul. <laughs> and love the chat with Paul last week who gave us the history, how they grew up. We're going to dive into that a little bit deeper with with Gary and the rivalry that he had with the Pepper brothers growing up down the street and how that turned them pro and, and where he is in touch with the game today. But I never saw Gary Gate play. Really? Like I was certainly aware of who he was like from the first time I started playing and someone handed me a stick. I think, you know, the stories of the gates immediately follow because you want your first question as a little kid is like, well, who's the Wayne Gretzky of lacrosse? And the answer back then, the always was, Oh, Gary Gay and, and Paul Gate. And so it wasn't like, I never, I never saw them play because they were, I don't know if they ever played in Vancouver when the Ravens were here, they might've been, well, they would have been almost wrapping it up by then. But um You weren't checking out like Shamrock Spellies back in there or anything like I that? was, but like I don't I don't think they were there because I think that would have stood out. I think they were already yeah. uh, gone or not coming back. Yeah, chasing man cups with within the east or something. And not, no, did they ever did they ever play Yeah man outside uh, of Victoria? Yeah, well Paul played in, in North Shore, uh and Gary Played in Brooklyn for a long time, but you're making like right. you, you're young, you're making me feel even older than I'm about to feel. As the twins celebrate a birthday on on Monday, Brad, and of course Wednesday is is my day of birth. So you're making me feel pretty old. But I've actually played a couple of games against both of them uh, over my illustrious WLA career. So Paul with with North Shore. I want to say late 90s, and Gary was there late 97, obviously, for the Man Cup. Uh, and I want to say back again in 99, I, they they stacked some teams, uh, both those those clubs in the late 90s. But, um, man, I when I think about it, like in the GOATs, and it's always up for debate, like I, Gary Gate, I think the best all-around lacrosse player ever and when i say all indoors around and out- uh, i want not, not just indoors and outdoors brad 
but all over the floor or the field, whatever it may be. Like, I don't think Gary Gates' defensive prowess gets any... Obviously, it doesn't, but it doesn't get anywhere near as much attention than his offensive game does, but he was, like, proficient at defense. Like, he was a very, very good defense. Could strip you in a heartbeat, and then the motor, like, did not... Very reminiscent of, of Lyle Thompson. Like, he just... Put him anywhere right, on the floor, were, any situation, he is going to excel and make an impact on the game. And they were big boys, too. Like oh, Lyle does that on oh. this sleek yoga frame to fly up and down the floor. But Gary Gate and Paul Gay were doing it, you know, without they, – they were working hard on their fitness back then, but nowhere near as it is yeah, today. And still being able to lumber yeah. around the floor and – and take the pound. Well, and you hear from both of them about oh, man, how they just it, used to get it took it mugged, caught up with them. Brad. It mugged. caught up with them later on, but they had to be that big and that physical to play back then. Because yeah, they would get mugged. That's how you defended back well, then. Well, I tried to mug them, and like I still couldn't even t- <laughs> like. But they would take on two, three defenders at once. Like Paul was probably a little more of a bull than than Gary was. He was a little more shifty, but. Man, they just took absolute beatings night after night after. Never complained about it and never, like, it didn't shy away from it one bit. You heard him, Paul, say last week, like, yeah, it was lacrosse. It was fun. Like, I like that. Like, they were into it. Gets you engaged. Gets you fired up. I got to turn my levels down here a little bit, Brad. I think I'm a little over pumped this week, and I'm I'm tapping out here uh, early in the program. But when I was trying to yeah, but, like, point being was that even – for people in my generation and, and younger, you know, of course now you can watch watch games and highlights on YouTube and stuff. But even without seeing him come through my hometown and play in my arenas when I was a kid, yeah. you were still very well aware of the legend and the name and what that meant. And that still holds true. You pick any pick almost everybody off the street and say, name a lacrosse player, and Gary Gates, the name that's coming out of their mouth. Yeah. And we've got him on the show today. He's the final member of the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame that we've had to interview. So it's been a wild few months, man. And it <laughs> feels crazy, like it feels man. like a bit of a chapter is coming to an end here. It is. Um, and it we're is. going to we're gonna repurpose and repackage all the interviews and pump them out again for people who miss them and you don't have to dig through sometimes a, a two and a half hour podcast to get these interviews. We're gonna package them up and roll them out in a nice clean and tidy fashion uh, for you guys to to, to digest. But it's been fun. Like, let's say in, in, Gary's great, and we, we, won't, we won't spoil what's coming up here in the next five minutes, but, like, give me your top three Hall of Fame interviews. Oh, from man. The last three months. Why you got to do this to me right now? You can't just I'll bring spring. up the list. I'll, okay. I'll bring up the list. All right. You want to throw me a good question? <laughs> no. No? I, I absolutely. Uh, stay tuned for that up in Quick Sticks, by the way. Uh, so let me let's, let's just run through the okay, list go. so people know who, who we've spoken to. Russ Klein, Chris Fritz, Gary Gate, Paul Gate, uh, Jamie Dawick on behalf of Les Bartley, Tom Marichek. No, Terry Gears Sanderson Stogor. was Jamie Dawick, Brad. Oh, sorry. Oh, it was uh, Eddie Camo on Les Bartley. Yes. No, Eddie Camo on Les Bartley. Yeah, Tom Marichek, Darius Kilgore, Mike French, uh, John Gerler on Tom Borelli, Sal Cascio, Johnny Moradi, and Tony Ratch, Neil Stevens, uh, Dallas Elliott, Jim Velman, Rich Kilgore, Dan Stroop, John Tucker, Bob Watson, Steve Dietrich, uh, Pat O'Toole, Pat Coyle, Doug Locker on behalf of Chris Hall, Jamie Dawick on behalf of Terry Sanderson, Tracy Koleski, Josh Sanderson, John Tavares. 
every single member of the Hall of Fame. That's awesome. It's totally awesome. Uh, you're asking me for three. I think that's disrespectful to anybody else, but I'll, I'm going to say favorite chats. We don't have to say like okay. top. Darius Kilgore. Just call your favorite chats of the last. Darius Kilgore, uh, Gary Gate, and. I gotta say, Russ Klein. I just think I just think those early days and and the way it was all set up, crazy stuff back then. So, give me Gary Gate, which you're gonna hear in uh, a few minutes from now. It's a good half an hour interview. Uh, Darius Kilgore, who I could talk lacrosse with forever. I just like his brain and the way it works and the way he thinks and sees and talks about the game. Like, inject that into my veins. And, yeah, give me either Chris or Russ. I think they're both great, but I just – it's so interesting, these guys, the way they never even heard of lacrosse, never seen it before, and all of a sudden they're going to start a pro league, and, and here we are heading into year 35. Yeah, and we heard it from Paul and, and Gary. Like, no matter what you say about and what has been written about Russ and Chris – in the years past and some of that still sits with them and, and still rubs them the wrong sure. way a little bit. But if it wasn't for them, we None don't have the National None of it. Cross League. Yeah. Okay. Give I, me yours. I'll, I'll, I'll match you with Darius. And this, this show is what the series has been like, because I can name three or four guys that you didn't name that I really enjoyed chatting with. Like, oh, like I loved them all. Yeah. Like I, they were great. Not Coyle, like Dan anybody, Group, yeah. I, I always liked the Western guys. We've got a bit of a connection to those guys. Um, great chat with, with Chugger, I think uh, about all aspects of the game. Darius was phenomenal. Like you mentioned, I want to run through a wall for Darius Kilgore. Like I, I want him on a bench <laughs> somewhere so I could just see him Seriously. in action again and see his brain and his wheels turning. And Rich was a great chat too. TK um, was great. I really, I really enjoyed great. chatting to Jim Veltman because yeah. we talked about today's game. He's been with it. He's, you know, the ultimate competitor and, and eloquent and can really describe. Well, that's what, what you're saying. Play. Like, yeah, he, like, yeah, he, he broke down. How to get a loose ball. I was like, I was like, Jim Veltman is on the show. You know, how do you win a loose ball battle? And like, he had a two minute answer about how to anticipate <laughs> and, and how to, and how to win loose ball battles. Yeah. Like he's able to decipher and break it down. Some guys can't, some guys it would just really came natural and just, Oh, his ability. You got to be more athletic. You got to want it more, but he had a really articulate answer. That was a great one. JT as well. I think JT uh, can break down a game and break down the reasons that made him successful better than almost anybody we spoke yeah. to. And Brad, well. but, so, like, even like the Tony I'm going Rash, back John Tuckers, Sal Cassios, like these American guys, the early pioneers, they were fantastic too. The way, the way they found the game and, and, you know, playing box lacrosse and never tried it or seen it before and like making a go of it. Those guys were all great as well. Agreed, man. Agreed. It's yeah. been, it's been fun. Like I want to, I want to go back before I start broadcasting again for my next NLL season, hopefully December. Yeah. Um, I want to listen to these chats again because just it just it's like an encyclopedia of lacrosse knowledge that that uh, we've been happy to share with you guys. Yeah. Well, we uh, we reached out to the NLL and, and Jessica Berman and, and Katie Lavin got back to us uh, as to Jessica and we just said like, hey, like if you want these for the Hall of Fame, we'll clean them up and and make them right for you. And you know when the relaunch goes down, which we expect to come in the coming months as well. These can be part – so, I, like, I think that might be the coolest thing out of it all, Brad, is that these things are going to live in the National Lacrosse League Hall of Fame in some form or another for eternity. Like, that 
that's that's wicked. Love it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely been been fun. So stay tuned for that. Gary Gate is coming up. Uh, we've already gone in like 10, 11 minutes here, Brad. We have not even gotten to the big focus. So let's do that. Big focus. Big focus. Focus. Another than a big focus. Focus. Big focus. Big focus this week uh, on Lacrosse Classified, Brad, is this news coming down late last week. The chosen one, Brad, the chosen one, Dahoga Nanakoke, is done with the Danes. And, and this, like, I, we've been seeing Dahoga like, put out, like, cryptic tweets uh, about, you know, leaving school, wanting to turn pro, um, just, you know, like, kind of these, like, vague, like, should I, should I not, like, just these weird kind of cryptic tweets over the last couple of years about, about wanting to leave school, and I think this decision was not his. I think this was a team decision, a Scott Maher decision, friend of the program, not a big deal. But Dehoga is done as a Dane, and and this is going to have a big impact on the upcoming draft. Eyeballs looking to the left emoji out of nowhere. You know that's that's one that he'll float out from time to time. This one kind of like I was I was a little surprised too because when I read his tweet without any context, it sounded pretty amicable. Like he was stepping away, and then thanks to Coach Mar, thanks to all his teammates, yeah. and it just me me sounded like. Oh, is he want to jump into the PLL? Is he wanting to get get going here? Um, but now you, when I asked, you know, what to dig a little bit deeper, there seems to be some. I'm not gonna say animosity, but there's there's a lot of stuff behind the surface that some de- detrimental that was going on. stuff. Where I like from what I can understand and from what I've heard, there was you know there was yelling at at practices and in games at teammates and even coaches. And it got to a point where they'd had enough and just said, like, this is we're better without hard enough to, to believe. But they, they think we're better off without you than we are with you right now, the way things are going. And, you know, it's concerning, Brad. It's an alarming thing. And, and like, I don't know enough to, to really start commenting one way or the other on what happened and who said what and what, you know, like. But to me, this is this is concerning. To, to see uh, a kid not be able to finish his lacrosse career at his at his chosen university, he said he still plans he'll to do online courses and, yeah, and he'll graduate. Yeah, he'll finish which, his academic career there, which is which is fantastic. Super important, and, like more important than anything else, I would say. Now, does I mean that the question has to be asked, Brad? Is there a character issue with TN one? And if you're a GM in the National Lacrosse League making a pick, and it's going to be a high one at that, one, two, three, whatever it is, do you worry about that, him joining your franchise and having this kind of black mark hanging over him? I do think that there might have been a bit of a distraction factor there in Albany. He has, like, there's there's always a story about Dogan Anikog in, in the lacrosse world somewhere, whether it's like he's debating if he's going to come back or not, and you know, and then he, he, I think he missed the start of this this season for whatever reason, and things were late to get going. And 
and and he has been very outspoken about a lot of things on social media, which is great. That's what today's players are going to do. Like they yeah. learned he's that from follow. their peers. Yeah. Exactly, he's a great follow. He's he's he knows the creators' game inside and out. He inhabits it. He's called the freaking chosen one for crying out loud. Like he's. He's the next, you know, he's one of the Lyle Thompsons in, in the making, essentially. Well, people don't know why I, I came up with the chosen one here, Brad. I got to get this in here because you just mentioned it again. But T-N went to Hoga, Nanakoke, and he wears the number one. I figured T, the chosen. You got N at the end of chosen, and one obviously speaks for itself. So that, that's where I, 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 I I've been following it since he said it. He wears his, he wears his heart on his sleeve. There you um, go. If, I'm, if I'm Bob Hamley and I'm... The Pan- Panther City, City LC yes. in September. I don't know how I turn my back on a on a talent like that. And I know there's other talent available. There's Jonathan Donville, who some think might be a a, a number well, one just right straight, now. But even without this album think, stuff, I think there's a there's a debate to be had on on who you select. Yeah, but I don't I don't think it's enough to knock the character and to take the shine off of Togan Anacog. I thought. If anything, you know, I, it's kind of similar to the to the Austin Stotts story to me. Like, mm. I think there were some questions about Austin Stotts a couple of years ago, and I, you know, I spoke to someone straight up that was close to Austin that said, if if I was Patrick Merrill in the Seals, I'm not making that pick. Like, it was it seemed too risky, and we've seen it with this with the style of play. Like, he's been injured because the guy plays so freaking tough and physical. Yeah. And I think that was a bit of concern for a lot of people. It's like how hard he already had a lot of miles on his knee. How hard can you go on that body in the national lacrosse league? And Austin's missed a, a chunk of time. I don't think San Diego regrets that decision no. for one second, but I think we're sort of having the same conversation. And they, I think in the, at the end of the day, San Diego made the right call. And I think Fort Worth will, will, will make the right call as well. Like you don't turn your back on phenomenal talent like there. You hope you can get him into your organization and he fits in and there's no distractions, and it can all work out. You know, I just don't know how number one doesn't go number, number one. one. It hasn't, <laughs> hasn't swayed it. It hasn't swayed it up for me. This is yeah, just a no, hundred and, and who's intense and wears his heart on his sleeve and wants to get to the next level. Yeah. Okay. And, again, I don't know the full context of what happened and, you know, what, what was said and what wasn't said and when it was said, but I think, like, the kid's going to get paid. Like he is an unbelievable lacrosse player and he's, he's going to make his money. He's going to play pro. Um, and for me, like if this is, this is a one-off thing, everybody deserves a second chance. And, and I don't want to pigeonhole anybody into being a bad guy or whatever, especially when I don't know the full realm of it all. So listen, I, I honestly think there is a debate to be had between Donville and, and Anna Coke at number one, regardless. So, there's no bad decision here, and and let's just see how it kind of plays out here. I think more details will come out on this, but I just it it took me back when I thought it was like another April Fool's joke because he put it out on December or March the thirty first, April, yeah. and I thought, okay, like is this is this? But no, it's it's legit. So you know, I will say we talk about it here a lot of time. Like this year has messed everybody up this year and a half two years has messed everybody up and people are their personalities are changing and their goals are changing and maybe that just wasn't the fit for toga anymore and he's ready to go to the next level and and here we go like yeah 
Yeah, maybe right. I, I think you got to give people the then benefit of the doubt. People have been going through a lot of shit the last year and a half. Tell me about and it, man. We'll continue to, to to slug it out. Well, we were we were talking before we kind of pressed record. Like what? Like you were practicing announcing in your car. I I'm not gonna lie to you, Brad. Like every now and then, like uh, you know, for 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 a short amount of time, I'll turn down the TV volume and. Like Gonzaga, UCLA, maybe I'd you know finish off that game, or I'll do a little hockey, or you know baseball just started, so I'll I'll do an inning or so of baseball just to myself out loud, but in my room. Like, well, we got the WLA season is supposed to kick off on on June twenty third. Yeah, and so yeah, I was thinking, you know, if I was looking at the schedule. I was looking at the schedule, thinking, okay, what's the first potential game that I might be doing? Is it in? New West or Quitlam or Burnaby. And I'm like, okay, here's Burnaby versus Victoria. Like, what is the opening line going to be <laughs> of the broadcast? I might just go, holy shit, I'm calling a lacrosse game. Welcome to the Palace on Poirier. My name is Brad Challoner. This is WLA Lacrosse. Like, what's the great open going to be? It's going to be like, uh, here we are. Let's let's go. Well, I, like, how do you I, open like I said after to not you, broadcasting might, and having no lacrosse for two years? I might shed a tear, and I'm not even kidding. Like if I get up in that booth <laughs> in the Langley Event Center, and it's time, you know, like I, I'm I'm not even joking. You're gonna like, open. Like, you're gonna open crying. You're gonna open crying. Good evening, little cross. I might not be able to help it, Brad. I might not be able to help it. It's been two long years, and here we are together. Like, seriously, man. Like I, it's it will hey it will be emotional. That first time that anthem plays, oh, and my all-time favorite song. Yeah, man. Off, I, you know, like, like, like final, just thinking final, about it gets final me score for man. the first time. Yeah, for the first time in a year and a half, the oh, final score yeah. from the Bill Copeland Sports Center is. It's gonna be. It'll be fun. It'll be oh, fun. And we can do so, it on the national yeah, league w- level. With that September, being said, we'll be Brad, we 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 got to talk about content ideas, and I think WLA. Like I want to believe. So I, I'm thinking WLA previous for, for the next little bit here. Let's talk to some GMs, some coaches, maybe a couple of players uh, throughout the WLA here, and, and let's get ourselves ready to go for WLA season because uh, I need something to believe in right now. Uh, what we also need to do, Brad, is take a break here after a big opening quarter on EP126, and on the other side, it's Stampede Tack and Western Wears. Calls to the hall. Our final one goes out to number 22, Gary Gate. Next, Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. This is NLL Hall of Famer Paul Gate. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified, your go to source for all things NLL and box lacrosse. Welcome back to Lacrosse Classified EP 126. Into the second quarter we go here where we like to do our calls to the hall. And Brad, this will be our final call to the hall. Saving the best for last, I must say, as we have him on the line now. First time on the podcast here. Number 22 in your lucky program. I don't need to run down the entire resume of this man because that would take a half an hour in its own I right. dare you to try. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do my challenge. <laughs> Gary Gate on the podcast here. Welcome to Lax Class, Gary. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, we talked to Paul last week, and and one of the first things that I asked him was, "How did you get your start playing lacrosse? How did you find a stick? What what made you pick up a stick?" And he mentioned it was it was the Pepper Brothers. Who I like when I sit back and think about this, Gary, to have two identical sets of twins, the same age from the same area, 
be that good at the sport. Like the Peppers coming up were just as good, if not better than you two growing up. I just find Absolutely. it mind-blowing that the four of you guys would come from such a small area, two identical sets of twins. That, that's crazy stuff. It was, you know. like I think we were at that time three houses apart when we were born, three weeks apart. Wow. And, wow. and uh, obviously that instantly made, uh, you know, the two families connected when you have identical sets of twins, three houses apart, three weeks apart. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, yeah, your kids are so good. Your kid, let's go do this. Let's do that. What are your kids up to? How's it going for you? So I'm sure it, it you know, instantly connected our families and we've had a lifelong uh, amazing relationship with the Pepper family, and, and and you know they've stayed involved in lacrosse throughout their life as well. And I know that uh, the Greg's you know, still Greg still around, I think, yeah. and and a pro player at one point. And then Grant, um, you know, in the Victoria Shamrocks and that organization and field lacrosse, and and now his son is actually going to go to St. Bonaventure oh, and play wow. for. Yeah, so, yeah. next stuff. year so it's it's Full nice to see the lacrosse family staying connected it's it just like the freakish statistical anomaly to have all that come together on a quiet street in victoria back in the day is is just nuts but do you think you and your brother pushed that was there a rivalry there that helped you all just like excel as as athletes and just sort of, of like push each in other the backyard there little, little <laughs> you know you know it, more than anything it was an opportunity to do things you know like we were always outside together you know from being little tiny kids we'd we'd be running around there's stories of us you know at two three years old jumping on the the milk delivery man's truck and going around <laughs> the block and taking I certainly remember playing, you know, outside every single day from hide and seek to you name it, games that were all competitive. That's something that, you know, to this day is lost a little bit with kids. They don't spend, you know, all day outside just playing. Man. And that's something we did. Yeah. So we, we, you know, it wasn't just sports, but, you know, even a game of tag is early development for athletics and, all those types of things that, that we did and had the opportunity to because our mothers were always telling us to go outside and get out of their hair. So yeah. how true is that? Huh? It's it's yeah. crazy. And, and, and it really wasn't just lacrosse for you guys. Like you mentioned, Gary, growing up, like it, Paul was saying like basketball, rugby really enjoyed to play. And that's kind of what made you guys, what you were, I think, trying out all those different sports made you into the athletes that you are that helped you excel in the sport of lacrosse. I, I agree hundred percent, you know, that, you know, the multi-sport athlete, but, you know, we were lucky that, that, you know, we were raised with the peppers because I give them a lot of credit for helping Paul and I develop our, our com competitive drive. Um, you know, they were, different than Paul and myself. They, they weren't, they were super competitive with each other and everything usually ended up in a, in a battle or a fight with them. And, you know, Paul and I would, you know, be laughing or whatever, you know, they, they would just compete over everything. And it really helped us learn that, you know what, 
and then we would compete and we'd pick, you know, it would be myself and Greg against Paul and Grant and, or the other way around. And we would always be competing. So That's awesome. it definitely, uh, helped along with being outside, you know, learning, you know, how to run away, dodge, you know, all that stuff. And then taking to that ne next level in sports to have, you know, we started young, um, in all sports just to try and, I think our parents just wanted to tire us out. So, you know, to have the four of us that were so active outside start to play sports, you know, we had a core of any team ready to go. It's not like you're just putting your kid in a sport. <laughs> you, got, you got three cores in a line up ready, yeah. And a whole line. Just need a goal. Yeah. You got to throw Debbie in net. Yeah, exactly. So it, it definitely, you know, if you look back, it, you know, was a huge part of our development. And, you know, and it was a different world then. You sure couldn't was. specialize in a sport. You know, there was no opportunity to do that. And, and you know, who knows how that goes. You know, there's always this debate over multi-sport athletes versus, and I agree, I've learned so many things from, you know, rugby, basketball, soccer, uh, even track and field, you know, techniques I'm running in that as a young kid. And that's all helped. The, the question for me on the multi-sport is always, like, when do you focus on your sport? And for, for Paul and I, it was, you know, really high school. Yeah. You know, the real focus turned to lacrosse. And, you know, that we only played, we gave up any club basketball and just went with high school basketball by the end. And we were play, lacrosse players. Was there a point in your and Paul's life, like when, like, I don't know if it was before high school or when, when it might have been, but did you guys, like, was there kind of like an, a moment where you're like, hey, Paul, like, I think we're pretty good at this sport and I think we can go somewhere with it. Like, when was that for you guys? It's funny because, uh, Paul and I were okay players young. Like we, like we just did every, we just played like with no purpose, like a normal kid would. Right. Yeah. Not really driven. Like, you know, when we're think about four years old to about 10, 11, we're just playing the sport. We're not thinking about being the best, you know, and, and we didn't have parents that were talking about scholarships or anything like that. We, it was just something to do, yeah. you know, and then we were fortunate. Our teams had success and it started to turn into, you know, these guys are pretty good going to provincial championships for our age group and things like that. But it wasn't really until our parents, the pepper parents, my dad gave up the coaching managing ranks of our team at about, I think, 11, and brought in Ron McNeil, who was a, you know, top professional Hall of Famer uh, lacrosse player that came in and really, I know for me, sparked that, you know, I can get better. And I he taught us how to get better. Before that, we were just playing. Yeah. You know, there was no purpose to our training. We were just doing practice, throwing it against the wall. But I wasn't learning how to do fakes. I wasn't learning how to be deceptive. I wasn't learning different, you know, moves or how to win a ground ball. It was just roll the ball in the corner, go get it. And Ron really changed that for me. And it's probably why I'm coaching today is because he taught me how to learn the game um, and look at developing skills as opposed to just playing. The light bulb went off and, and it was, you know, 11, 12 years off, old. We went on to win the Canadian Pee Wee Championships that year. And 
you know, that just sparked us all to keep working harder. And, and we did, and it, you know, and, and within three or four years from 12 to 15, we were playing with Ron McNeil. Yeah. Wow. And okay. didn't he didn't he bring a lot of unorthodox stuff at the time off the floor too, like visualization and meditation and that? Like, how much are you bringing that to your to your coaching? Yeah, he he did. You know, he he you know just training. Like, we were doing a lot of interval training. We were doing all this stuff that was you know cutting edge at the time. Um, but definitely the mental side, the visualization, the meditation. You know, I, I continue to use that and always credit it as a huge part of my success. And and nowadays you can't find a top level athlete that doesn't doesn't practice those types of techniques and that. But in the late seventies that was something that you weren't teaching yeah, twelve year old. Nobody was doing that uh, back then. It's funny, eh, Gary, like back in, in our day, like we go run like a ten K before practice, which has absolutely no benefit to going out on a lacrosse floor and and doing what you need to do on the floor but it's like go run a half a marathon and then and then go practice and it's like two yeah. totally different um physical systems but th- that leads me th- we, we are going to talk about your nll career here i promise oh. but <laughs> but um your coaching and in syracuse and in the women's game i i find this fascinating like you've i i know you coached the u19s back in 08 and you've you've been on an ll bench of course but the women's game and, and Syracuse obviously drew you to it, but why the women's game? What attracted you to, to coach the women? Well, uh, you know, to go back again, at 15, Paul and I took on a peewee team and, and we started coaching and we coached them to the provincials. And I think we came second. Um, and Paul and I were the coaches, you know, at 15, who turns over their 12, you know, 11, 12 year old kids, <laughs> but, you know, it was better than refereeing. We liked it and we had learned a lot in those, those, that's why I said those three or four years, uh, of middle school were amazing times for, for us, for sport development. And, and it put us in a position where we could coach and that, that kind of sparked the coaching bug. And, and to be honest, you know, I always thought coaching was just a volunteer opportunity. And, you know, I didn't think, you know, one day I'm going to be a coach. I wanted to be a player. So, you know, fast forward, you know, through college, all that playing, all that stuff, you know, I'm not going out looking for a coaching job in the U S I went and actually got a food brokerage job selling food right out of college. And then I, then I, flipped over and started working for SDX lacrosse full time. And it was kind of a, it was a young lady and it was actually Mark Millen's wife okay. that I was working with Erin Millen at SDX. And she was an alum at Maryland and she was offered the opportunity to go back there and coach if she wanted to. And she didn't, but you know, we'd been talking a little bit and I just had my daughter right at that time. So I got a baby girl. I'm young. I wasn't loving what I was doing at SDX and I wanted to go back to just representing them and endorsing them. So I, I left as a full-time employee and took the coaching job, you know, because I just had my daughter. I knew nothing about women's lacrosse, but you know, from that young age, I learned how to teach skills, how to teach the game. 
So I said, I'd love to try this. I'll give it a shot and I can still work for SCX. I can coach. And I was playing pro at the same time. So I had that whole mix of things that all fit together perfectly. And all in the boat in the same region too, right? I'm sure that helps keeping everything sort of close to close to home at the time. It wasn't always in the same region, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, you know, you know, my playing career, you know, went from you know Detroit to to Philly to you know oh, to uh, Baltimore to Pittsburgh to Washington to Colorado and Rochester, a couple stops in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I actually only played for three teams. Four, if you count my coming out of retirement. Well, let's let's start in. Well, there's in some Detroit there was some here. relocating. Yeah, there's some relocating involved, right? Relocation. Let's start in Detroit back in in 1991. Rookie of the year there with with the Turbos and and that team was a really re- th- those two years in 91 92. It was really the last. They had rules back then about the number of Canadians. <laughs> okay, right. Right. Yeah. So that's really when the rules started getting bent a little bit and they, they started figuring out, know the history of the league. The league was owned by one ownership group and it was, uh, you know, how two players get drafted to the same team is, is would never happen today. Um, not unless you traded away a whole bunch of stuff to get it. But it was something trying to build the market in Detroit, thinking it was going to be the next big uh city that had a great crowd and so that was the effort they made and that's just me being honest and and you know we did some good things but then buffalo came in and guess what happened buffalo had better crowds they were they they were allowed to have more canadians so they brought in true box across players and and that started the run of of Buffalo, Toronto dominance in the in the NLL, and it you know really wasn't until um, the NLL started that things really changed. It was the MILL before that, of course, yeah. and then when the NLL, and that's a whole novel that I'm sure Paul could tell you about that transition because he was he was super involved in it, and the two of us committed. We left the MILL to start to help start the NLL in between the 97, 98 seasons. So that, that's a whole nother yeah. uh, podcast. Well, we've, we've had, yeah. we've had we've, both uh, Russ and, and Chris, Chris on to, to kind of walk us through those, those years and man, uh, crazy, crazy times back then. Oh, it was crazy. And, and, you know, it, it was always interesting and I, I love Detroit and, and, you know, we had a lot of issues there. Russ and Chris made some decisions and I love them too, but you know, they were operating off the, the uh, trying to make the league survive, which I get. So I don't know if you recall this, but the format at the time in 92 was two divisions. The first place in each division play for the championship. Well, with about two games left in the season, Russ and Chris, it was going to be us versus uh, New York Saints in the final. And with about three games left in the season, they changed the playoff format to have a semifinal and a final. Got to get Buffalo in there, right? (laughs) Because you wanted Buffalo and Philly, your two biggest attendants. And the rule was 
the team with the largest attendance hosted the championship. Oh my god! <laughs> wow! <laughs> now you go. You're getting a real picture of what the league was really like. You know, like it was. It was definitely a a. It needed change, and that's why Paul and I got behind the NLL when yeah. it came on board. We were the first to go and say. Let's do this the right way and let's figure it all out. Was that but, the birth of the players union, Gary? Like, was that when the PLPA was like, let's get let that? Us- that was. It was '92. Was was it? And it was. It was. You know, Dave Sakamore was on Detroit with myself and and Peter Smith and all those guys. And it, it was a crazy year because it was the players had a choice between voting for the Teamsters or creating a players. I heard, yeah. Yeah, the Teamsters and showed the up. And the Sombrados were leading the charge for the Teamsters, and the, <laughs> and and we ended up forming a players' association instead. Not and really. it was uh, good it was decision. Quite a ride. Good decision. Good decision. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the last piece of that Detroit story is so the, the the consolation they gave us is they let us host the semis. Um, because us in New York ended in first and second, so we got to host the semis. Well. Sure enough, we both lost, and uh, it ended up being Philly and Buffalo in the championship, and Buffalo won, and that was their first championship. And it was uh, it was funny because they even the game we played got changed to an afternoon game, <laughs> and we had just lost, and we're walking out oh, of the arena. And I remember the fans showing up thinking they're going to watch the semifinal. And they're coming to watch the final. No. Oh, it was they, over. It was it over. It was already. over. And we <laughs> lost. And, you know, they made a last-minute time change on oh the game. My God. And didn't tell yeah. anybody. Forgot weird, to tell people. Unreal. And, and they, they, I think they lost a lot of respect in the market. Yeah. And and that's when, you know, you know, Paul and I exited to Philly where they had great attendance and great crowds and, Oh, yeah, look how history gets altered. Like Detroit and New York both close up shop years later, and then Buffalo and Philly to this day are still, you know, two of the biggest crowds in the National Lacrosse League. Like what yeah. could have been in Detroit, you know? Yeah, it, it just, you know, when the media wasn't taking it serious anymore when you're doing those types of things, and I think that's, in my opinion, you know, why Detroit floundered was just that it wasn't taken as a real sport. Speaking with NLL Hall of Famer, one of the original members back in 2006, uh, man, and let's let's move on to Philly here, Gary. Was that kind of the first time that you had played in front of crowds like that? Like it was wild in the spectrum. And listen, nobody was leaving their their the the arena when when the brawls and stuff were going on. But like I remember watching those games from Philadelphia and just thinking, my God, what a spectacle! Yeah, it was it it was a lot of fun. Oh my god, it almost wants to take me back to my first game. Just to please, did Paul talk about our first? No, game no, he did no, not. No, so I'd love did. to hear this. Oh I'd love to hear this. So just to just to show you another example of what how the the league it it was back in those days. Paul and I were were at Syracuse still finishing up, and we went to work at a winter camp out in Arizona. So, and it was right before the first game. It was like a couple days in Arizona. Then we were flying directly back to Baltimore to play in the opening game. Well, sure enough, there's an East Coast storm, Nor'easter that hits. And it took us 24 hours 
to land and we landed in DC <laughs> and took a taxi from DC to the game. We got there at game time and there was like nine players there. Oh my goodness. No goalie. <laughs> oh no. So, Dave Evans. So I'm thinking, I guess we're not playing this game. And you know what happens? They say the game must go on. And the other players were still traveling and trying to get there. And so our equipment manager, and I forget his name now, in Baltimore Arena, they had a hockey team. Oh, my God. So we, we scrounged up a bunch of hockey equipment. And I've heard about this. I've heard about this. Yeah. Put together some pads and put them all together and put the equipment manager who was like 40 years old at the time in goal because he had played when he was a kid or something. And they scrounged up a goal. It was, it was unbelievable. So we were down like nine goals at halftime. (laughs) And then the rest, then Sawicki showed up and the rest of our team. And we ended up coming back, and I think we won the game 16, 14, or 15 or something. <laughs> Did you have, you had like, 10 that night. Was that the night you had 10? No, that was the first game. Okay, it, okay. Was, it, was, uh, it was just a crazy one, though. Like It was like I didn't think you could play without yeah. the real players in a pro league. But I guess, <laughs> Show know, must go on. Equipment managers yeah. just put them in, and, and I know before that, a couple of years before that, they played with hockey goals one game. Right, goal- right, right. Yeah, yeah. Didn't God. have lacrosse. Forgot but, to bring the lacrosse nets. Let's play with hockey. Those, you know, but with all that said, you know, you got to give credit to Russ and Chris for figuring this out and finding a way to get people to want to come. Yeah. And it was. It was a totally different game than it is today. It was wild. It was rough. It was, you know, it wasn't nearly as specialized. And it was it was a lot of fun to play. Like, I played. Did you prefer that kind of game, Gary, where it was like the, you, like, you played a lot of defense over your career. But did you did you like the kind of the three lines, the, the transition, the back and forth over the offensive, defensive kind of stuff you we know, see today? If, you, if, if I, as a sports fan, yes. I do. I got to be honest. It was fun. Like I've watched a couple of games. It was just fun to watch. Like tons of mistakes, yeah. flying up and down, fast breaks left and right. You got old guys that can't play defense, so you're getting good opportunities. And it was it was fun to watch. And I and I remember we did an experiment in Colorado. We put two college teams together and played an exhibition game where they didn't play OD, and that was really fun to watch. It's just... Things change. It's not the way you win, though. No. Right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was really uh, less in, in Toronto that really grew the OD side of the game and created the... Put our put your best defenders out every time. Put your best O guys out every time. Yeah. And that's, that's when that really changed, you know, for the lacrosse world, and it it certainly allows for players to play longer, which is great. Like, you know, I went back in my forties and played, Yeah, but I could have never have done that if I had to play defense. Too. <laughs> like forget about it. <laughs> so, you know, to be able to go out, plus it gave, you know, it changed the game because now offensive guys could get 30 shots a game, 20 shots a game. Whereas when you're playing 
you know, a third of the game and you got to play half of that playing defense, you know, the stats don't really add up the same as they do to, in today's world. You've certainly seen it all from the beginning of, of the MILL and the NLL and all the, your summer ball and everything, Gary. Was there ever a point somewhere in the National Lacrosse League, one year where you're like, hey, this is how – this is how it's supposed to be. This is the, this is lacrosse on its biggest stage. The rules are set. The game is great. Like, you know, was it ever peak NLL for you somewhere in Denver or playing in Toronto at a time like that? You know, I, I really thought, you know, when the NLL started, it was it was pretty legit. There was a lot more two-way players. It was just the odd player got to play OD. You know, it was one or two players that were scooting off. The rest were staying on. And it, it was just fun lacrosse, you know. But, you know, and, and, and I think, you know, we had some great crowds back then, too. You yeah. know, it was, it was amazing. It was a, it was a fun era of, of the game. Well, we talked about Paul in, in 05, kind of coming back after retiring in 02 after over a 100-point-plus season and took a few years off because of the injuries and got coaxed back out by Steve Govett to, to Denver with you. And, and the plan was to kind of hang it up after 05. Yeah, 05 I retired, and I became the coach of the Colorado Men. So I was the head coach of the team, and we won the championship, my, my rookie of course, coaching. Of course, yeah. And then I got to coach. I was very lucky because I won there. They let me coach the Canadian team in the first Worlds, and I, we won the Worlds, or the second Worlds. I can't remember which one. In 06, 06 and we yeah. won that in Halifax. And then I coached one more year, 07, and, and, and then I came back to Syracuse. What, to, what made know, you come back and play in 09 then after, you know, like success at every level, then into a coaching career, and then it was like, I want to play again? I blame, I blame Reggie Thorpe. <laughs> <laughs> he was the GM of the team at the time, and he was he – was, he was, uh, in the area and I ended up hiring him to coach with me at Syracuse. Right. And then we went on to coach some MLL together. Um, but he talked me into, you know, him and Kirk Styers talked me into coming back. And I said, why not? I said, I'm at, I'm working at a university. I train every day. You know, it's, you know, it'd be fun to do. And I, I you know, it's a way to test yourself. You know, the reason I t- retired the first time, was because I was flying every weekend uh, and the time change and going back and forth every week was a killer. Yeah. You know, it was, it was tough. I, I, you know, my knee, they told me I had arthritis in my knee. And as soon as I stopped playing for six months, my knees never ever bothered me again. Huh. Wow. So I retired because I, you know, I couldn't put a lot of weight and drive off my one leg because, and it wouldn't get better because I was flying every weekend and, and it was tough. So I, uh, I, I simply just said, you know, I'll, I'll move out here and coach and this is great. And then all of a sudden my knee felt great, but then I moved to Syracuse, took the coaching job. And then, you know, I said, I, I can do this. And Reggie asked me, I said, we'll make it work. And they were very flexible and, you know, I thought I did okay the, you know, first year or two. And then the, then they asked me to come back for the last one for three games. And it wasn't pretty because I wasn't as dialed in. But uh, I'm, I'm sure you're still better than 70% of the league, Gary. Let's not yeah, get well, ourselves Jordan right. Hall was coming back from a knee injury and he would be back up the fourth game. And they said, can you just 
fill in till then. And it was hard to say no, they were so good to me. So I did. Yeah. And that was the end of my career. I just, you know, walked away that one, just kind of, you know, you no, knew, you no, knew that was the last one when you walked oh, off. No announcement, no anything. I would just, I just played those couple of games for them and then was done. Huh. Rode off into the sunset. Yeah. And you keep tabs on the league now at all. You watch, you keep track at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely do because I've had, you know, more than all that fun experience playing, I've had a lot of experience behind the scenes as a, as a coach and, and an owner. And, uh, you know, I was, I was involved. I put together the ownership. De Dennis Townsend owned the, the Baltimore Thunder, which became the Washington, uh, no, which became the Pittsburgh Crossfire. And then he's like, Gary, if you want the team, let's, you know, you can take it and go. So I put together uh, Steve Comiskey and a, a group of investors and Steve was the general partner and we started the Washington Power. And uh, some good teams there in Washington in the early 2000s. Yeah, we were, we were good. We just, you know, unfortunately, you know, it would never happen today like it did then, but they needed teams in the league and they didn't want to lose any. So we really didn't have a hundred million dollar type person owning the team that could afford to absorb all the, the, the issues. And, and Steve, we all did our best. And that's how, you know, Steve Govett really did a great job. You know, he was a partner in it with me and, and we, we ended up selling the team to Stan Kroenke's group and, and Steve went out with it and worked. I, I made a deal. I'd continue to play. And that's when I started commuting while I was still playing. And that, you know, every week it was going back and forth from Baltimore to Denver. It was tough, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And yeah. It, was, it was a great experience to see the other side of it. See how, you know, fledging leagues get, get off the ground. Two quick wins here for you, Gary, for our yeah. zoom runs out. I know you got to run. We appreciate all the time you're spending with us, but I wanted to get these in because we asked Paul and I want to see where your takes differ. Uh, best defender, your toughest defender you ever played against, and goaltender that gave you the biggest problem, if there was one. Well, I could probably pick three defenders from Toronto: Clarky and uh, Bullen, and obviously, uh, oh my God, uh, Coyle, Latasseur, Matt Coyle, yeah, yeah, all of them, four of them, yeah. You know, they, they <laughs> that whole unit, that whole unit was, you know, they were awesome. And, you know, they all played a little differently. Some were more of a hold and clutch and grab and others were pound you to death. And, you know, they, they, they were the unit that, you know, always felt they were the best and came up a little bit short every time, lost to them several times in the semis and the playoffs. And it, it was always a struggle. And that's why they won so many because that, that core defensive unit was, was spectacular. We always ask our, our hall of famers, for one guy that's not currently in the NLL Hall of Fame that you think belongs in there. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, mean, I, I, oh I know. It's, it's, this, seems, this one seems to stump a lot of people. But, uh, but I, I go back to maybe, you know, there's the goaltending was so big. And, you know, I love my buddy Ted Sawicki. Sure. And, you know, for an early on, early start, you know, there's a guy that, that – did so much for the league. Like he, he carried Detroit um, on his back for several years and was amazing and, uh, and helped grow the league and did a lot of great things. So, you know, early on, obviously um, 
there's a lot of great players that deserve to be there. And, and, but I'm just thinking back to the early yeah. days. Hey, Ted's a wicked good. We'll mark it down. We'll mark it down for you. Gary, uh, man, I can't thank you enough for, for your time. Best of luck with the, the women at the Q's there. And, uh, with gate lacrosse, we talked to Paul about that a bunch yesterday as well with the new products hitting the market. And, uh, can't wait to see all those. And, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Congratulations on a, an amazing career in the NLL and lacrosse in general, man. Oh well, thank you. It's been it's been a lot of fun. Like you know, life is lax and it's all good. All right, Gary. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Take care. Bye. There he is, Brad the Goat, man. Twenty-two, Gary Gate. We got him. Calls to the hall. We're done. What are we gonna do now? <laughs> panic. What are we gonna, we're gonna do panic. now? Back, well, back to the drawing board. What we're gonna do right now is tell you who that calls to the hall is from. Stampede and tech, Western wear, love hardworking people, just like lacrosse people, and that's why they carry a wide range of CSA work boots designed for those who work hard and are tough on their gear. With boots such as the Steel Toe Work Hog or Turbo Styles from Harriet, there is no doubt that these boots will keep you up, keep up with you on any job. Or try the Green Patch CSA line of boots from Blundstone or the Bobcat boot from Redback. Man, they got all sorts of boots at Stampede Tack. You, you need a boot? Just go to Stampede Tack and Western where you're going to find the one that you're looking for. How about how simple is that? Stampede Tack and Western where located in Cloverdale at the corner of Highway 10 and 180 since 1966. That's a long time to be selling boots. Or you can shop online at stampede.ca where shopping online is still shopping local. Calls to the hall is done, but Stampede Tech will carry on with us here on Lax Class. We're going to take a break and we're going to quarter three. Quick sticks are coming up next. Associated Labels and Packaging, a fun family company that offers premium quality labels and packaging with unparalleled service. With 40 years of experience, an extensive product catalog, and an ever-growing fleet of equipment, Associated Labels and Packaging is the perfect fit to take your labels and packaging to the next level. This is Ryan Banesh of the Halifax Thunderbirds. You're listening to Lacrosse Classified, growing the game one podcast at a time. Welcome back to Lax Class. Into the third quarter we go, Big Big thank you to our friends at Associated Labels and Packaging. At Associated LP, as in labels and packaging. Uh, doing great things down there. I saw the boss, Sean Ashworth, uh, just bought himself a brand new Harley Davidson last year. He's got it all detailed up. He's ready to hit the road uh, in his, on his Harley. That makes me super jealous. Packaging industry, packaging business is booming. Uh, I'm telling you, and, and uh, no no short part uh, due to us here on Lex Class, I'm assuming. Anyways, uh, hand anyways. in hand, hand in hand. Yeah, big thanks to them and their continued support here on the podcast. Down there in Coquitlam for the last 40 years, labels, packages, find them at Associated Labels and Packaging. You won't be disappointed. Quick sticks here, Bradley, and uh, we got we got a bunch here. So let's, let's rip through the ones uh, we can here. Lacrosse Canada came out with a new look, a little new branding. I saw Jerry Van Beek, president of the BCLA, big uh, big listener of the show, I might add, as well, sporting his new Lacrosse Canada gear. I like the logo. Colors remain the same, red, white, black, and, and a little maple leaf stick in there. Good stuff from the CLA. Um, Steve Govett making uh, waves on 
Instagram here, Brad. I don't know if you saw this or not because you're not a big Instagram guy anymore. But Steve Govett at the University of San Diego State kind of just filming as they were constructing what looks like a new field across field in a new stadium there at San Diego State and just kind of dropping the be a nice spot for a game on Instagram. Nice stop for a game, Brad, there in San Diego, outdoors at San Diego State. Now, I don't know, Brad. I don't want to, you know, put words in anybody's mouth here, but uh, I don't know if he's just talking about watching the Aztecs play a little field across or... Maybe we're talking purple and gold and, and dive in to San Diego State University and play an outdoor box game. What do you think? I think Steve Govett might just wander all around Southern California <laughs> and take pictures of things and say good spot for a game in King Troll fashion. But you know what? I will say, all, all jokes aside, if anybody's going to make it happen, it will be that organization. Yeah, they well. tried to do it on a runway. They want to do it on a beach someday. Like, it's 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 going to happen they took the LNLL to Vegas for the first time so if anybody can put it together it's Steve Govett and Cam Holding and Josh Gross and and the Seals front office so hey I would I would I'd have, I'd have the first ticket yeah. to that game we've yeah. been clamoring Road for an LNLL game if there's any market that could do it it's San Diego come on I agree uh, so we'll wait and see on that I want to send out thoughts and condolences to the Goulet family Rich Goulet who is better known as a, a legendary basketball coach in, in high school ranks here in the province of BC, out there in Pitt Meadows with Marauders. Uh, he's been around so long, Brad. I went to one of his basketball camps when I was in grade 11 back in 1990. But uh, Rich Goulet, just passing away, was also a member, uh, the, actually the head coach of the Coquitlam Junior Adnax, uh, right after they turned from the Jayhawks to the A's back in... I should know this. I want to say late 79, 80, maybe something like that. So an absolute legend. And this guy impacted just countless amounts of kids' lives in a positive fashion. And I wanted to give him a shout-out here on Lax Class. So rest in peace, Richie Goulet. Uh, speaking of old-school guys here, Brad, I, I got myself mixed up on a fa- – Shocking, I know. Mixed up on a Facebook thread with some absolute morons about. Then this is this is tough because for me, you've seen this. Dallas Eliak in his YouTube channel and his Instagram feed puts out some old school content of the glory days of the National Lacrosse League, and in those posts, a lot of times are. Goalies coming out of the crease and absolutely lighting guys up, a.k.a. Alexis Bouquet on Carson Leung. And the crowd goes crazy. There's fights. There's, you know, on all this. And guys end their careers on hits like this. And I have a hard time. Like, And guys are going like, great hit. That's awesome. Old school lacrosse. And I'm like, give your freaking head a shake. This kind of hit is the worst thing our sport has right now and ends guys' careers. And this faction of people out there that still think this is the way the sport should be played. Like, it's 2021. Give your head a shake and figure it out. You don't need to do that kind of garbage in our sport anymore. It hurts people, and that's the only thing it does. So these guys got right in your kitchen, eh? Uh, like Sounds I had like to block it. a couple of guys. Like like I'm, I was fired up. Yeah, I, I, you're still fired up. Here we are a few days. Ago. I didn't see it, so I, I can't comment on what the what the 
what Dallas said in the post or anything? Like Dallas just posted what... the video. He didn't make any comment. It was just oh, he the just other. Let it... So he's, he's, just, he's just leaving it because he's he's baiting. He knows people are going to go nuts over it's, it and then yeah, take the defense I, I suppose. and offense. Your heart is torn. I, I, can, I can hear that. There obviously is, like any sport, there's going to be a divide between old school and new school. And that, that clip does get way too much play. And maybe it's because we feel it because we know how that ended. The average Joe flipping through the internet doesn't know that that was a career ending hit. They go, Oh my God, this sport, I got to go see this. I'm like, that's not an accurate representation because that's not what you're going to get at a national lacrosse league game anymore. It just doesn't happen. So that does hit a so sore spot for people that know that that was a, that was a hit that, you know, ended someone's career. And yeah, it makes it look like a, makes it look like the NLL from 1994. And certainly that's like, that's not what, that's not what we want to get across either. So I'm kind of with you there. All right, let's move on. Uh, something positive here on Lax Class after that that little ty- tyrant. 7-4 uh, and dings. Paul Gate gave me a good question last week, Brad. How do you feel about that? I almost – I that's almost like in the PLL, that would be a two-pointer. Two okay, I'll take it. That would be a two-pointer. I'm not giving you a two-pointer. That's okay. not in our rule book. Uh, we've got a we've got an NLL well, we rule book to, here. We might have, have to go up, to the crew chief and find not, out like a good question from Paul it's Gate. Not, Could be a two-pointer. Not, it's not in the book. Seven the book. four is your updated score and the race to twenty for good question dings. I'm in the lead. Prince Edward Island has started a box lacrosse league, and I can't be more fired up about this, Brad. PEI playing box lacrosse. This is new, this is exciting, and you love to see it. The game is growing. This is coast to coast. This is as coast to coast as you can get for this sport now. It's unreal. And I know it's burgeoning and, and Halifax is having a lot to do with that. Halifax made such an impact in the Maritimes in the short time that they've been there that I think other provinces are waking up and, and emulating what they're trying to do in, in Halifax. So I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'd love to see a tournament hosted there one day. Like, could you imagine a bunch of guys flying into PEI and, and, you know, having a play in a tournament there, but it would be, it would be absolutely unreal. So congrats to them. Emily Goss update. Uh, somebody was asking me about this. I think it was TC a while back. And I came across Emily's Insta story. And she was like reminiscing or flashing back to where she was a year ago to where she is now with her walking and kind of catching and just her whole. Tell you what, man, this girl is a living miracle how far she has come in such a short amount of time. And I don't know if you can work any harder than M does. So. She continues to make progress, and it's just, like, the most inspiring thing. And she went as far as to post on her Instagram that if 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 she was annoying anybody with her Instagram post to please stop following her because she didn't want to annoy anybody. And I'm just thinking, like, are you kidding? No, you're inspiring people. Yes. To, to I said, you're not annoying anybody, Emily. You yeah. are awesome and don't stop. So yeah. positive things but, on, on the Emily Goss update. She just continues to keep working and getting better and better and better almost every single day. Uh, you wanted to mention this, Brad. PLL waivers, some NLL notables picked up. Yeah, mostly by the Cannons who had first dibs on – on everybody L-train. so the cannons yeah cannons pick up uh shane jackson of the nll noting variety mm. shane jackson andrew q holden garland they also signed chris hogan so he'll be competing for a yeah. probably a short stick midi d midi yeah. spot LSM. with the cannons still no mark matthews still no kevin crowley um how is that in, possible 
in the in the PLL. So how is that? You know, and no, like I'm sorry, but like, how do you not pick up Crowley or Matthews? I don't know. I, I I haven't seen Crowley. Like I don't know if Crowley is completely. Or, sorry, not uh, I know Matthews. I mean, I haven't seen Matthews, so I don't know if Matthews is completely out of shape and they don't think he's too slow for the PLL or something. Still gonna put up I don't 50. see how his vision doesn't get locked, and I don't know how Crowley, who is a former MLL MVP, uh, does not get locked up too. Like this guy's got pedigree everywhere, multiple Team Canadas and and all of that. So I know. Basically, Team Canada and the PLL, PLL, the chaos. And Austin Owens does a great job of breaking all this down on uh, on Lacrosse Flash website. But the chaos essentially, Team they've Canada. got like twenty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've already, they've got their rosters almost maxed out. So if they go through the the college draft in a couple weeks uh, and pick up a couple bodies, their roster will be maxed out. So it's like, do you cut someone out of nowhere just to bring already. in a Matthew or? That's the thing, right? But I do think they could fit there. Like, you know. It's if, Mark freaking Matthews. Like, what is going on? Anyways. Matthews uh, to, Matthews to, yeah, come on. <laughs> Matthews to Dixon. Yeah. It will be absolutely unstoppable <laughs> to have hit. They need his vision in that attack, Dixon, I think. Matthew. Matthews. You're just laughing. Yeah. I am. Okay, last uh, couple here on Quick Sticks. Uh, NLL 35 moments. We're going to mention this probably each week for the next, uh, I want to say, 32 weeks. Stop yawning, Brad. We're in the middle of Quick Sticks here. Uh, Derek Keenan, Jammer, being honored here, I suppose, by the NLL as he uh, passed, surpassed 122 wins back in March of uh, 2018. But we're talking about, well, he was a former rookie of the year back in 1992 with the Buffalo Bandits. All-time wins leader as a coach, four-time coach of the year, three-time GM of the year, six straight division titles uh, to go along with three champions. I think he's got like eight or nine total as a player and a coach with Toronto and Saskatchewan. The guy is the most successful GM and coach in the history of the league, Jammer, and uh, he's on NLL 35 moments and couldn't be more worthy. Yeah, four-time Les Bartley award winner for coach of the year and has since surpassed Les Bartley with playoff wins. Um, did Derek Keenan as well. And this is another thing that I don't know if it's just me and my my terrible memory, but like you know, there, I, sometimes I'll go to NLL.com and I'll be like, oh yeah, Jacob Rue plays for New New England now, and well, John Albany Lucetti, actually, Brad, but yeah, or Albany, yeah, sorry, but like you know, you just forget where guys have ended up because you haven't seen them dress for those teams yet, and it's been so long, right? And yeah. I don't know if, if people even remember or realize that Derek Keenan is not going to be behind the bench next year for the for the I Saskatchewan know. Rush, like he is the general manager. The guy who created that team and that and that culture and has been the guy behind the bench for so long, it's going to look really different without DK with Derek Keenan behind that bench. But you know, I've seen that team up close as as have you. Like, you know, Mark Matthews draws a lot of the power plays and a lot of the set plays coming out of the timeouts. Like, literally, he has uh, the whiteboard in his hand sometimes. And I know McComb is a great X's nose guy. Oh, Jimmy Quinn is coming back onto that bench, so the the team's in pretty good hands. And Derek Keenan has a equally a good general managing record as he does a coaching yeah. record. So I think the rush will be okay. It's just going to look a little bit different not having Keenan back there. How is that going to affect the culture in, in Saskatchewan? It won't. Like, is he... it won't. No. Not at all. Because you, you think about it, he's still going to be around, right? He's still going to be in the room. And, and like, Derek's not a big, like, rah-rah, big pregame speech kind of, like, 
Like he just, it's business and he knows how to push the buttons. And, and I think his fingerprints will still be in that locker room, obviously. Right. He's going to have conversations with guys and, and you know what that sort of stuff's like. And with McComb, like he's been running the offense for, for Derek for, I don't even know how long, 10, 15 years, Jimmy coming back and he's going to switch sides on the bench, but here's a guy that, knows all of these guys is real familiar with Saskatchewan and, and the systems and all the rest of it. So there's no, there's no like change in continuity there. It's not like hiring a brand new coaching staff. That's going to come in and change the systems. And you got to learn new language, new plays, new terminology. And no, it's just, it's going to be seamless. I, I know it will be. And, and it'll take a little getting used to not having him there for on the bench during game times for sure. But Jeff Bob's is ready for, for the job. Trust me on that. Yeah, and those guys that are still on the roster, that core of that team yeah. are Derek Keenan drafted players. So they know that culture is just about shut up and go about your business and, and win lacrosse games, you know? And they, they've done a lot of that over the last few years. So I think you're right. His legacy will will permeate through that room and will, will for a long time going forward. All right, Brad. So next week, that's it for Quick Sticks this week. But next week, we are going to give away two lawnmowers we got to make a decision here i have a list of suggestions from content ideas that fans listeners have submitted over the past several weeks here and we got two lawnmowers you're gonna you're gonna have to pay for shipping through canada post you okay with that i'll do one you do one okay okay uh so we'll pick two people and we're gonna give these lawnmowers away and come up with uh, a couple of new content ideas in the process if you live in the lower mainland i'm willing to deliver as well <laughs> I, I gotta get out of the gotta get out of the house sometimes face mask on please face mask on no, it might be a slight bias to people within a 30 minute driving radius of ladner <laughs> okay so still when you hear this you will have six days to make a submission and, or maybe let's call it five because we're gonna have to pick a couple of these and we'll announce those on next week's show, along with uh, maybe some new ideas that we come up with ourselves. Who knows? So that's it for Quick Sticks, which means just one more quarter to go here on 126. Stampede Stallion of the Week comes up next here Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. Hey, this is Blaze Version of Team USA and the Philadelphia Wind. You're listening to Lax Class, growing the game one podcast at a time. Back on Lax Class, quarter four, no more breaks. We like that here on Lacrosse Classifieds. I'm sure you do too. Thanks for hanging with us as we move into the fourth quarter here, Brad. And in the fourth quarter, we like to do our Stampede Stallion of the Week. So let's head for the stables. All right, we've reached uh, the Stampede Stables here. Uh, Stampede Stables here on EP 127. Your pick this week, Brett. This is going to be fitting because we're going to keep it uh, with the Stampede theme. Going to Cowtown, going to Calgary, Alberta. Maybe the first great Alberta lacrosse player. I might not be going out on a limb to say that. He also wears number 22. Oh, Jason Wolder is coming into the stable. Jason Wolder retired a long time ago. I thought he played a lot later than this. He retired in 2009 playing seven games with the Edmonton Rush, but this was, like I said, the first great, I'm going to say great Alberta player. It really paved the door, paved the door down for guys like Caleb Toth to come out and Jeff yeah. Snyder and 
and the like. But I want to put Jamie Bowen the... in that conversation as well, Brad, but I don't want to disrespect Jamie Bowen because he was fabulous as well. Came out of uh, – entered the National Cross League in 1995. So this was early days for, for Jason Wolder, back in the New York Saints, back in the eight-game season days back in 1995. Uh, plays almost – six seven years with the new york saints which is a long haul for a guy from calgary at the time like there wasn't a ton of guys flying into new york every week but he did it and contributed you know sort of a perennial 20 goal guy 560 points ends up in calgary in 2002 his hometown and wins a championship there which you talk to jason wolder was one of the highlights of his life to be able to win a championship like there's no chance of him growing up thinking there'd be an nll team in calgary one day and then there is and then he's hoisting a cup with that group in a phenomenal 2004 run yeah. uh hangs around in calgary for a few more years and goes to edmonton puts up another or sorry colorado puts up a 21 goal season there and then winds down with edmonton but like i said perennial 20 goal sort of 50 point guy always contributed fantastic mitts on the crease, like a wonderful quick stick, like one of the best inside guys around uh, six foot, 200 pounds, but because he was a pioneer for Alberta and because he was a perennial 20 point guy and really put Alberta lacrosse on the map, he's coming into the stable. Yeah. We needed a, a little Western representation in, in the stable over the last few weeks. And listen, man, I like, I don't have any numbers or anything in front of me for, for Jason Wilder. Um, and I don't think I need any, like I, I played with Jay Wu back in 1995, my rookie year in the WLA in Coquitlam. And some of the things I saw Jason Wilder do in practice, I had never seen another, and I still haven't seen another player do. Like he would make goaltenders fall over with, with his fakes. And I'm not, I'm not joking about that. Like he had a sock, like he played with an absolute fishnet. But he could make goaltenders fall over with his fakes. And then you mentioned, like, great quick stick. Like, he could still quick stick the ball and had an absolute rocket from the point. I believe he is still the Coquitlam Adnax all-time leader in assists, um, which, you know, that program's been around a long, long time. Number up in the rafters there at Poirier, I believe. If it's not, it should be. I'm pretty sure it's up there. Uh Man Cup Canadian winner, lacrosse all, yeah, Canadian, Canadian lacrosse, lacrosse all, all famer, Man Cup winner in 2001 with Coquitlam, and I'll tell you, funny thing, like uh, I, I want to say it was 1995. I was going back to, to funnily enough, play Gary Gate in the Brogdon Cup, which was like the American Club Champ against the Canadian Club Champ, and. Uh, the Wolfpack, they, Gary had this team just stacked full of All-Americans, all the rest. So anyways, I told Jason Wooler, I said, like, what do you – And because I knew he played in New York. I said, I'm going back. He, like, what? we're going to Manhattan after. What should I do in New York? You've been there. You've been playing lacrosse there for the last six – So he says – Jumping goes, here's my advice. He goes, grab a big Cuban cigar. Grab yourself a Mickey of, you know, some Southern Comfort or something. You're allowed to drink on the street there as long as it's in a paper bag. And he goes, just go to the World Trade Centers and just sit there around rush hour, smoke your cigar, sip your liquor, and just watch people. So this is the World Trade Center, for people that didn't know, almost every subway in New York would would connect underneath the Trade Center. So you could go anywhere from, from there. So every time that a light would change at that 
location, like just thousands of people would cross. You know what I mean? Like it would, and, and then mm-hmm. one direction and the next. So me and and, and a guy that, that played on the Adnax with me that year named Mike Putris, we just sat there, I want to say like the better part of two hours and just watched people in New York, all thanks to to Jason Wilder, who suggested that. Still spending his days out in Chilliwack, B.C. Uh, these these days, Brad. Farm country, so the Stampede Stallion suits suits him well. Welcome to the stable, Jay Woo. You are this week's Stampede Stallion of the Week. Brad, who is the Stampede Stallion brought to you by? Of course, our friends at Stampede Tack and Western Wear. We've been hearing a lot about Stampede over the past year and shopping local at Stampede specifically. They truly appreciate the support of the local community. Stampede would also like to thank all their customers from coast to coast who have also shopped online. In the spirit of keeping things local, we'd like to remind everyone of the fantastic selection of Canadian-made boots from both Boulay and Canada West Boots. Mm. Whether you need boots for riding your horse, riding your motorcycle, something CSA for the job site, Stampede Tack and Western Wear will have them for you. Walking Stampede around in Chilliwack, and- baby. Definitely need some Stampede boots to walk around in Chilliwack. Uh, Stampede Tack in Cloverdale, the corner of Highway 10 and 180th Street, where you'll find an outstanding collection of Canadian-made boots. You can always shop online at stampede.ca, where shopping online is still shopping local. Well done. Uh, you just go with the straight read. Eh? You don't deviate from the script at all. I kind of like the freestyle a little bit. Then you like to try to throw me off in the midst of, <laughs> of yes. running it down. Too. Uh, that's the, half the reason I ask you to do that. All in good fun. All right. Uh, I think we're done, Brad. Are you, are you good for EP126? Man, that was a program and a half right there. Bit of a marathon. Need a nap after chatting to Gary Gate. Like, it's done. So now we got a week to marinate on what this next chapter is going to be. So, yeah, keep those submissions coming. We've still got a long NLL off season here, mm-hmm. and we want to fill it up with content for you that you guys want to hear. So, so lots, make sure lo- you hit, a, hit us up on social, and you got an email address somewhere, too? I do. Lots of ways to, to get at us. Let's start with the email, at lacrosseclassified at gmail.com, at lacrosseclassified at gmail.com. Brad is at Brad Chow, 2 L on the end of Chow. I'm at PXP for sports, the number four sports. You can pretty much find me on any social media platform. The show, Twitter, at LaxClass, Instagram, at LacrosseClassified. We've got a Facebook page as well. And I think that's it for, for getting a hold of us. You can text me or call me if you got my phone number as well. If you got a content suggestion or you just want to say hi. But for now, we will say goodbye as uh, we will say thank you to Gary Gate. Before we go, thank you to you, the listener, for checking out Lacrosse Classified every single week. We'll talk to you next week. And the biggest thank you this week goes out to our sponsors, Stampede Tack, Vancouver Warriors, Associated Labels and Packaging for their continued support of the podcast. You want to keep this podcast going? Support our sponsors Please. Now, that is going to do it. For Brad Schellner, I've been Jake Elliott for the fastest game on two feet. And for the creator, we'll talk to you next time here on Lacrosse Classified. In the meantime, stay safe and stay healthy, everybody.